Welcome to Ogilav Nanagus. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologist Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody at www.storyarchaeology.com. Series 1 Mythical Women, Episode 4 The Story of Arabit. The Story of Arabid. The green grey morning is soft with mist. Arabid sits on the soft earth of the mound, her yellow cloak spread empty before her, covering the damp earth. All around her lie green herbs, no longer fresh and growing, for they were harvested in hope and are now scattered in sadness. Arabid gathers the measure of her cloak around her, but her thoughts are not soft. She gathers her thoughts to her and garners her memories. There was her father, Dien Kecht, physician to the Dodanan, greatest of healers, who, when Nurda the king had lost his arm in battle, had not despaired. For though I cannot restore your arm, he had told the blemished chieftain, yet I will make you the greater. And with his healing magic, he had constructed a hand of silver so cunning that each joint moved to grip and grasp as easily as a hand of flesh. Yes, the hand of silver had brought renown to Nurda Lovaragat, and it had kept him the kingship, for no blemish man could be king. But it had not healed the lost limb. No, that had been left to Mirk, her brother. Together he and Aravit had learned the law of healing, both becoming wise, each the measure of the other, until Mirk had gone the further. With the magic of his learning, he had recovered the lost hand of Nurda. For three times three days he had kept it by him, preparing it with spells and incantations, and then when it was ready, he joined it, bone to bone, sinew to sinew to Nurda's arm, and there it regrew and Nurda was whole and healed. If Nurda was glad of this healing miracle, then Dienkecht was not. A dark mood had descended on her father. Taking up his shining blade, he brought it down upon his son's head, cleaving the skin of his skull. Miak healed himself. Twice more Dienkek brought the blade down on his son's head, each time cutting into the skull more deeply. Twice more Miak healed himself. Again the blade fell, but this time Miak's brain was split in two, and he died. Aravid sadly buried her brother under a mound of soft earth and watched there, as the bare soil softened and grew green with new grass, new grass and green herbs. And Aravit had guarded those herbs, harvesting them in her time, sorting and recording them. For there were 365 herbs that grew from her brother's grave, one for each of his joints and sinews, one for each day of the year, one for each illness that ever had been or ever would be. She gathered and garnered them all. But her father's dark mood had not yet fled. He found her where she was. In his jealousy and his anger, he scattered the plants, destroying their order. And Aravit sits still on her brother's grave in the grey-green morning. 
she sits with the basket of her empty cloak before her until the time of his seed healing shall come again. Well, I think that's a unique story. It's surprising she's not better known. It is, rather. Um, her father is probably better known than she is, Dean Kecht, the physician or doctor or healer, whatever word you want to use, for the two of the Danon. Uh, he appears quite a bit in the story of the battle or the two battles of Maitura, which is where this story you've just told comes from. Um, he has at least four children. Mm -hmm. uh, there's Arva the Meach there. He has another one called Othriel. And, of course, another one called Cian, who comes up as the father of Lou. He turns up in when we talked about uh, Ethlin. About Ethlin, exactly. So, Dean Kate is also Lou's grandfather, which makes him quite important, you yeah. would think. But the battle, once we're into the uh, saga of Moitura, that's a long story. In fact, we're planning to devote a whole series of podcasts to Moitura. It's such a great, great story. Exactly, there's so much to it. But I suppose I better mention the beginning. Uh, the story of Moitura. The battle that ends up with the two battles of Moitura begins with the Tour de Donnan. Now, the Tour de Donnan are these people of great skills who uh, appear mysteriously from their cities in the north and they arrive in Ireland and they look around and think, hmm, nice place to live, but they find it kind of occupied. And so they have a set to with a group of people called the Fearbolic. Mind you, it's a pretty good battle, isn't it? The preparation for that battle because they oh, meet yeah. each other and they go, let's have a look at each other's weapons. And uh, they look at them and think, is it fair? Okay, we'll give you a year. We'll have a year of preparation in which we'll make sure that we've got exactly the same standard of weaponry. Very noble, very honourable. Yeah. But the battle still takes takes place, and Nuada, the king uh, of the Tour de Donnan, loses his arm in the battle. And yes. that means that he can't be king anymore. Yeah. Because it was a custom that any sort of blemish would mean that you'd have to step down. Is that yes. right? Yeah, and and that goes uh, historically as well, right up to the sort of historical cycles, stories about the kings and so on. Um, that, yeah, you couldn't become king if you had a blemish or disability. Um, and then if some kind of injury like that happened to you, you would lose the kingship. Mm -hmm. And this is because the king is supposed to reflect the wholeness of the land. Yeah, so a bit of a problem if you lose your arm. Yeah. Well, we've seen the story about how uh, Dien Kicked gives him back an arm of silver, and this makes him quite famous, and he's often known as, you know, Lord of the Silver Arm yeah. and so forth. But um, when Miak gives him his real arm back, that mm. causes a problem, uh, well, at least for Miak. Mind you, the story's really a little bit long. I mean, it's not just the first Battle of Moitura, the Battle of Southern Moitura. Yes. There's another one, isn't there? There is. There's the second Battle of Moitura. 27 years later. Yeah, there are thereabouts, certainly. And it's the Northern Moitura, which is near to where we are sitting here, up in sort of South County Sligo. And that's the battle between the two of the Danon and the strange foreigners, the Fovora, who come from under the sea and have uh, laid the two of the down under a great tax and tribute and essentially the second battle is almost like an uprising of the Dadanan against their uh, Oh, it's another ruler. long story full it, of magic and I'm looking forward to telling it. But maybe you better get to the bit where Dean Kecht and Miak and Aravid enter the story. Yeah, the, for the battle, again, there's uh, plenty of preparation for the battle on the Dadanan side and one of the things that is uh, spoken of is that Dian Kecht and his children Miach, Arvid and Uchtriel they went and made a great well um, Uchtriel's well 
which they then sat around it with the various incantations and herbs. And it was a healing well so that uh, any person who was injured in battle the day before, sort of up to some of the lesser forms of death, could be dropped into the well and then they would jump out again the next day fully healed. Right. So, then wait a minute, there's a problem here. Miak is killed by his father and there he is at the well of Slania, um, for, you know, re- re- helping injured soldiers and dead soldiers to recover. Yeah. Uh, right. So death isn't really much of a handicap then, is it? Not seemingly not for these people, no. So this is really a story about a family of doctors then? It is. Our Dienkert is very much seen as the founder of a profession, of the profession of medicine. And uh, he's very often, for example, in the making of Nuida's silver hand, he's seen alongside three other founders of profession. We have Luchta, who's the carpenter, uh, Krednikerd, who's a brazier who works with uh, fine metal, silversmith and gold and bronze and so on, and Govnu, who is the, the great smith. And there are, in fact, four law texts. We don't have them all in complete uh, as complete texts, but they are listed together as the Bretha Dien Kert, which are the judgments of Dien Kert. And then there's also the Bretha of the other three, of Luchta, Krednikerd and of Govnu. Uh, so this was a set of texts which laid down laws and practices around each of these professions. So what do these law texts say about health and healing? Well, there's two aspects to it. One is of illness and disease. And in that case, you're looking at the laws around marriage and family structure to say who needs to take care of an ill family member. And then there's the case of injury when someone is injured either deliberately by another person or by their neglect. And then it has to do with the circumstances and their uh, respective statuses but essentially if you cause injury to another person it's your responsibility to look after them and have them in your house uh, until they're made better again so it's really all about social welfare and so it forth. is yeah it's about yeah. Who, who looks after the week <clears throat> yeah you know what we've got here with this story it reminds me a little bit of the story of pandora's box you remember the story of pandora who was uh, given this wonderful box but told never to open it and... which is just cruel in my opinion yeah it is cruel really and the story is a little strange anyway but uh, I'm, this is a short form mm-hmm. and uh, she just worries about the box and eventually she opens it and all the evils of the world jump out and she slams it down trapping the last one which is hope um it just reminds me, it's a story of a golden age lost. And the story of Aravid, at least at a first reading, seems to be that uh, Dienkecht has taken this hope of a cure for every disease and destroys it. Um, here, you know, through jealousy, mm. here it's a, a story of a healer who destroys the possibility of healing. Mm. I mean, what are we to make of this? Well, on on that level, it is quite a human story, because we have a father who has essentially invented this profession of medicine. He's seen as the, the founder, you know, patron of healing. But his children are better than he is. <laughs> That's what always happens. Yeah. But basically, and, and it happens as well with teachers and pupils, that, you know, the pupil will eventually outstrip the master. And the sort of quite natural human uh, reaction to that is a, a jealousy and envy 
of the achievements of your of the younger generation. So there seems to be a, a family story about a jealous father. <laughs> yeah, I can remember what what my father was like when, when my brother beat him at table tennis. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's only on a simple level. Yeah, no, it it, it does seem to be a human story, but mm. I think there's more to it. Maybe we should talk more about the Well of Slania in the Moitura story. Yeah. I mean, that really is a potent symbol of healing, yeah. especially if it can bring about physical resurrection. Yeah, you'd think that that would be pretty good, all right, and definitely gave them an edge over the Fovera. Uh, we've called it the Well of Slania, which just literally means the Well of Health. Slania is the sort of general noun for health. Um so what we have is um, it's an almost archetypal well of healing and clearly it could do many different things and heal different kinds of injuries. There are still plenty of wells in Ireland today that are considered to have healing properties. They tend to be a bit more specific these days. Yeah, though. most of them seem to only be able to do one or maybe one or two things. Mm. But you're right, they're a very common feature in, uh, in the Irish countryside. Yeah. And some of them have some really strange stories to them, don't they? We yeah. might have time to talk about wells in a future podcast, mm. but go on, give us an example. Well, just as an example, um, I mean, there are plenty that do te toothache or backache or earache or whatever, or even horses foot ache but um, <laughs> but one that I particularly in the hoof yeah uh, one that I particularly like is Glanagalt in County Kerry in uh, on the Dingle Peninsula and Glanagalt means the valley of the mad the mad people mm -hmm. and there's a well there which is Tubernagelt and it was basically the story goes that it was an open air asylum you know that all the mads mad people crazies were just herded into this valley to go and live off watercress and whatever else they could pick up. Um, and this particular well then, was it was supposed to cure madness, which is a bit kind of confusing because you think, well, you know, surely then people would get better and then they'd come out of the valley. Interestingly, relatively recently in the last, certainly the last 50 years, Someone tested the water from this Tubernagelt in Glanagelt, and they found it had very high levels of lithium. Mm. And lithium is, of course, a, a treatment for many forms of depression, including manic depression. And so it's really curious that this well that's been known to have this, what you might call folk cure, that there's actually a biochemical reasoning to it. <laughs> Maybe there's some sense in it. I'm not sure that's true for all of them. There's a rather beautiful well near Sligo called Tomanolt. And um, it's uh, it's supposed to be a healing well for several things. But one of the things it's supposed to do is if you drink the water of the well, it will make you good at football. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Only in rural Ireland <laughs> could you get a holy well linked to the GAA. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have no, absolutely no evidence as whether it works or not. <laughs> Although you did suggest, didn't you, that... Uh, that that uh, the Alps, it's called Tubernalt, um, which would usually be translated or might be translated as the well of the altar. There's a lot of place names with alt where it's uh, translated as altar. Sometimes but, high... Um, well, ards would be high. Would yeah. be high but, yeah. um, but alt is also the word for joint. And in fact, in the story that we've just heard, when um, Mich finds the original arm and he says joint to joint of it and sinew to sinew. Yeah, I'm afraid I put bone to bone in the story because join, joint to joint sounded a bit horrible. Exactly. But yeah. it's alt for halt and faith for 
space. So alt is the word for joint. So it could be that tub or alt has some chemical, maybe glucosamine or something like that, that's good for your joints. Yeah, I think we're clutching at straws here. <laughs> Complete speculation. Absolutely. But again, unless someone goes and does a test, you know, how are we to know? Oh, I don't know. But it's 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 interesting that there is such a tradition of healing wells in Ireland, and you've got Massively. this story of the prime well of the mm. well of Slonja. Mm. Slonja. Why did I say Slonja? Because that's cheers. Cheers. Yes, I know, I know. I know. I <laughs> know. Well of Slonja. There are other wells as well. I mean, the wells of inspiration and poetry, but they're really in a different class. They're, but it still gets at the, the fact that wells are to do with the spaces between. They're sort of limbic spaces, water welling up from an unseen place, from underground, from the from a, another world place. And there's, there's a, something of a paradox about a well. Um, I don't know. Where is poetry to be found? Beneath the wall, between the water and the dry land, or where is healing to be found? Between life and death. So we find Aravid sitting on a grave, picking life-giving herbs. Interesting. Yes, it's it's a wonderful paradox. And paradox in Irish stories definitely point you towards something important. And in this case, I think it is very significant that like you say, the life-giving or the healing herbs that are growing on a grave, that you have this paradox that many medicines, those healing herbs, also act as poisons. To give a couple of examples, most people are aware of digitalis being used as a heart medicine, um, mm -hmm. which comes from Foxglove, is that right? Is it Fox? Digitalis is Foxglove. It is yeah. Foxglove, yeah, I get mixed up and between there's that and the nitrate. valley, which also produces... Oh, I can't forget which one, but yeah. it's a heart uh, medicine. Yeah, so again, it's it can be used as a poison or it can be used as an incredibly successful heart medicine. Another example, which is one that I should go and research again, that um, the yew tree, which you do also find in graveyards a lot, which is so poisonous that in fact the Greek toxic comes from the, the name for the yew tree yeah. and yet there was investigations a few years ago about whether it could be used as a cancer medication but that is the nature of a medicine didn't you tell me that the actual name of the yew um one of the oh yes in in the oem glasses, yeah in the oem uh poems uh oem or ogham um that there are poems which give um, meanings and associations to each of the letters. And the letter I, which stands for the U, the EO, um, one of them is Luth Lover, which is the sustaining of a sick person, um, which seems, again, that kind of paradoxical bit that the yew tree somehow, you know, does it sustain the illness or does it does it keep the ill person from dying? You know, it's it's not very clear, but I think that... If we look at it this way, you know, that, that every toxin could also be a life-saving medicine. Yeah, and then the light of what you were saying about the potential benefit of or the possibilities of mm. you. Yeah. I don't know enough about that one, but it's mm. certainly interesting. It is. It's very, very intriguing. It's a paradox. Yeah. So you have Aravid who is sorting out, if you like, how to use herbs as medicines and stop them being poisons. What you also have, though, earlier in the story, when Dienkecht is has taken a blade to his son Mieg, Mieg has just invented surgery. 
Mm. Because where Dean Kecht was using an artificial arm, um, a prosthetic, a prosthetic, yeah, Mieck was actually restoring the original arm. So he was performing surgery. Microsurgery. Yeah. And what happens to him is that he gets cut with a blade. So while medicine is poison, surgery is also assault with a deadly weapon. <laughs> I suppose it is, isn't it? It is. It's just the one that we consent to. Right. <laughs> you know, in previous podcasts, we've found so much more by examining the meanings of the names of our characters. So what are we going to tell this time? Well, like you said, the meanings of the names, if you imagine sitting and hearing a story like this uh, 1,500 years ago, the names have an immediate meaning for you because it's part of your language. But when we're reading sort of a modern edition, they're just these sort of collections of letters. We, we no longer immediately understand their meaning. So it takes a little bit of, of ferreting and going through. We'll start with Miak. Um, my first assumption uh, was that it was simply another spelling or another version of the word Midak, M-I-D-A-C-H, uh, which is a word that we find to mean physician or surgeon. And that seems to come from the Latin word medicus. Mm -hmm. So it's it's coming from Latin and it means a doctor. So that, that was kind of my assumption until I went and looked a bit further and discovered that actually... Prior to that, there is a word meach, which is spelt exactly the same way as our meach in the story. And this meach is, it's a unit of measurement used specifically for grain, like right. corn. So yeah. it's it's often translated indeed as a bushel, the way that we would say a bushel of wheat. So it's or, an amount of grain or yeah. cereal. Yes, yeah, that has presumably been harvested and then you know, weighed or bound up or processed in some way, that that is what it's related to. And there's... Could it be like a sheaf? Or, or, yeah, or, like or... a sheaf or a bushel. Again, it's it's hard to get a, a, a precise uh, English equivalent. Um, there are plenty of citations about saying that, oh, you have a meach of corn, but then you also have a meach of whiskey, for example. Right. Oh, so it's cereal, whiskey, and that, that, come on, what's Aravid there? Okay, so Aravid, again, um, has to do with measuring as well. props as well, uh, which, again, it, it kind of took me by surprise um, when I found that. And in fact, one of the uh, citations given in the Dictionary of the Irish Language uh, has both Aravid and Mich together in a sentence, meaning an Aravid of Mich. So, uh, and whatever this measurement capacity or vessel even of the meach, the corn, a bushel. It's still connected with corn or cereals? It's very much, yeah. All the examples seem to be around um, corn, cereals, wheat, and then later on sort of flour and, um, and whiskey, of course, which is a grain alcohol. It's definitely, you know, grain-related right. alcohol. And But the Aravid seems to be, um, it's almost like in recipes where you see a cup of sugar. Uh, sort okay, of the, so it's more processed. Well, yeah, or it's it's the actual container, container that that will measure the yeah. finished grain or yeah. the finished cereal yeah. or it even all, the flour. Yeah, it all says it's a measure of weight or you malt know. or malt. Yeah, malt. malt is, yeah, malt is also um, is also mentioned. So the an 
the Aravid would be like, um, you know, when you have a barrel which you know can, will contain a certain amount of grain, then you measure that out as a, like a unit. So both of them are about measuring. They're about measuring, but particularly uh, Aravid is more the measuring bit and Miak is more the actual stuff itself, the grain okay, so itself. so she's about recording yeah. and well, counting. Well, one of the roots, I think, for the name um, is from the verb Adrievid, which means to enumerate or to count or or even recount or uh, record. That's uh, the the verb adriv, and so arvid would be a kind of uh, squished together. Form. That's amazing that both their names actually have a very similar meaning. Absolutely, and quite different from what we were expecting. Definitely, you know, there's no surgeons or, or herbs so to be found. Arvid is really a record of the harvest. Mm. How much grain there was for eating? How much there would be used for seed grain? It's yeah. about counting and ordering your harvest. Yeah. Well, that would be exceptionally important for the survival of the community. Yeah. And its health. Yeah. Uh, does this explain why characters whose names are all about cereals and harvesting would still be connected with healers? Well, indeed, it's interesting to note that in Old Irish, um, both linguistically and socially, there was no distinction made between the idea of a herb or the idea of a vegetable. They were both... The, the term love or loss was used for both of them. So a love or loss basically means a, a useful growing thing, you know, a plant that we will cultivate. And there was even a saying, apparently, um, that if you had leeks and celery in your garden, that was all you needed for health. So it might be more than just cereal crops, mm. and uh, but also all your crops. Yeah. So it's enumerating and counting and recording the crops and sorting the crops you have for different uses. Yes. But but that the, it, there was an understanding, if you like, that the that your diet, especially if it included good vegetative growth, be that the celery, be that you know the the flour from, that we make bread with, that all of these contribute to maintaining your health. So bread and beer and a few vegetables thrown in. Absolutely. Or maybe the whiskey in this case. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> you can be sure of that. Now, you, there's one thing. We've talked about Miak and we've talked about Arvid. In which case, what's the meaning of Dienkecht? Well, Dienkecht is almost the most surprising of all. Um, there are, I've got to put a little health warning here, if you like, because mm -hmm. um, even the Dictionary of the Irish Language will cite these old glossaries. You might have heard of Cormac's glossary or mm -hmm. O'Daverin's glossary, which are lists of words and their associated meanings. You can find in those glossaries um, that Dian is translated as Deus, as in God, and that Kecht is translated as power. Cooked, right? Mm -hmm. But I, it seems that those are retrospective meanings because. So, in other words, care. they're named after him. Exactly. So, his name is being described mm. as the meaning of his name is because of the meaning of his name. Exactly. So circular. Yeah, exactly. And you do find a fair bit of that. And in the that's glossary. later anyway. It is. But when you go back to the actual roots of the words, you know, their ordinary meanings, Dian means swift or eager or diligent or vehement. And Kecht is a plough. You're joking. Nope. <laughs> so uh, the eager or impetuous plough. Yeah. Yeah, this kind of changes the story. Here we have a very agricultural story, don't we? Absolutely. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. You know, earlier I said that the story reminded me a bit of Pandora. 
I think I've changed my mind. I think it's not Pandora that this story reminds me of. It's John Barleycorn. Now, I don't know whether you know the, there's an old English folk song. It turns up in so many forms from, oh, everybody from uh, Fairport to Steel Ice Band to Traffic to goodness knows who recorded it. And Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull as well. It's an, a very old in, popular English folk song. And there's so many versions, including one by Robert Burns. But it's this, it, it starts with, oh, I'll just quote the first verse. They came three men from out of the West, fortunes for to try and they have taken a solemn oath John Barleycorn should die they've ploughed they've hoed they've harrowed him in they clods upon his head and these three men took a solemn oath John Barleycorn was dead in fact it's hard not to sing it but I've no intention of doing so <laughs> now the whole song takes the story of the planting of the corn or, or the, the barley in this case the cereal and the, all the processes in uh, you know, throwing it into the ground, murdering it, Treat, treats crop planting like murder. Yeah. And then when he sticks his head out of the ground and grows a beard and then becomes pale and wan as summer goes on, then they chop him down and it goes on, you know, and the, the miller has served him worse than that because he's ground in between two stones and it ends up, uh, you know, the uh, huntsman can't hunt the fox or so loudly blow his horn and the tinker, he can't make kettle or pots without a little barley corn. And it's, uh, it's a bit of a drinking song. Yeah. But it's the story of the the ancient story of that you have to uh, you have to destroy the seed in order for it to regrow you have to bury it mm. and um and of course what he, what he ends up as is ale or whiskey or, or bread or bread yeah uh, but like you say it's treated as if it's murdering a person and it's, it's using that as an image to talk about the the, the cycle of growing mm. and harvesting we're in deep waters here. Uh-huh. I mean, Dean Kecht, the eager plough, cuts down the cereal, arid sorts and garners it to be buried and regrown. Yeah. Oh, no wonder Mia comes back. Yeah. You know, comes up back alive. I mean, this is... <laughs> Yes, it's very strange. Yeah, and, and makes it strange that it's not better known as well. It does, because it looks like here, what we've actually got in this little-known story which turns up as a uh, prelude to the Moitura, part of the story of uh, the Kath Moitura is actually a retelling of one of the myths that's pretty much found everywhere. Mm. Um, if I can't use the word universal, it's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. There are so many versions of this story, a lot we well-known, but maybe one of the oldest being stories of Isis and Osiris. So an Isis and Osiris, they, they were brother and sister as well? Yeah, they were. I mean, that that's another coincidence. Yeah. There were, there were four siblings. There was, in one of the early pantheons that make up that glorious conglomeration of, of ancient Egyptian stories from thousands of years ago. Mm. And uh, there was Isis and Nephthys, the, the, the two sisters, and there was uh, Osiris and Set, the two brothers. And it was Osiris who was supposed to have brought agriculture to Egypt, wasn't it? That's right. You see, Set was the god of the desert, mm. the ancient god of the desert and dry places. And uh, that's why he tends to be seen as the, the, the negative influence. Mm, but the adversary to, the adversary yeah. to, to Osiris, who was supposed to be the first king of Egypt who who gifted agriculture and brought the fertility and mm. taught them how to use the inundation of the Nile yeah. and make the land rich and fertile. Mm. Um, and, of course, the two brothers were constantly at each other's throats. Yeah. In fact, there's a great story which actually mirrors this one exactly. I hadn't thought of this, but it really does. Um, 
Set wanted to destroy his brother Osiris, so he, he held a great party and he provided this wonderfully decorated chest. And he said he would give the chest to whomever it fitted, a bit like Cinderella. Yeah. yeah. And the only person it fitted was Osiris. And as mm. soon as he got in and lay down, the lid was slammed on and nailed shut, and Set had the chest thrown into the river. Well, Isis went looking for it and she found it and brought it back. But Set wasn't finished. And this time he wasn't going to put up with her going looking again. So he chopped Osiris into 14 pieces and threw them into the Nile. Well, she bit by bit gathered them together again. And uh, through bringing them together, oh, this is a long story. Yeah. But eventually she found, the, had to remake one piece that was missing. And you'll have to go and look that bit up yourself. And through that, she managed to um, produce her son, Horus. Yeah. Now, so we have, again, the sister who gathers together all the pieces to make her brother so that cycle of fertility, fertility can, can go continue. On. Yeah. Now, there is another version in which he is lost in a tree and hidden in a tree, mm. uh, which again is cut down by Set. Yeah. But eventually when uh, he does, after this, after he, he then goes to the other world mm. where he becomes the lord of the other world mm. and is, a, is the one that all Egyptians go to to be reborn. Yeah. He, is, he becomes the god of red death and resurrection mm. and is the most loved. And Isis becomes the most loved figure in Egyptian mm. mythology. Yeah. Um, so Isis and Osiris are the lord and lady of death and rebirth mm. and life and death. Mm. It's remarkably similar. It is. I hadn't even thought of that, but it, it is actually almost an exact parallel. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, Recently, now this is actually a coincidence, I recently was in Abydos, which is the place where Osiris was buried. In Egypt. In Egypt. And is the, the cult center where every ancient Egyptian wished, if you like, it was the uh, the Mecca yeah. of ancient Egypt. And all Egyptians hoped that one day they would have a chance to go to visit the cult center, to make a pilgrimage mm. to Abydos. And of course, if they were very lucky, get buried there. To be there, buried that there was, the was to be beyond belief. Mm. But... Um, the pilgrimage went on for, for centuries and centuries and right up until Greek and Roman times. But what really hit me in this beautiful place was that as I reached the gate, there were a lot of children who, like all Egyptians, you're immediately in all over Egypt, mm. you're immediately um, met by huge people trying to sell you things. Mm. And uh, But I was offered corn dolls, beautiful little made corn dolls. With, um, uh, and the only place where I met such a thing and these woven corn dolls a little bit reminded me of the Bridget's Crosses we have in Ireland. Yeah. And it was it was a moment of pure magic when I realised that here was I was being handed the pilgrimage badge that had been given to people for thousands of years. Mm. And I can tell you, I never saw that anywhere else in Egypt, mm. just at this one place in Abydos. Mm. Here was the symbol of death and resurrection being handed to me, you know, albeit yeah. for a negotiated price. Yeah. Um, as a pilgrimage badge of the place, yeah. it was a moment of absolute, yeah. And you, you brought, astonishment. Brought one back for me, which I, I really love. But it's it's very much, very definitely, it's woven stalks of I don't know whether it's wheat or corn, but it one does, of those it looks cereals. like wheat, yeah, yeah, cereal. And the stalks are woven together, and it really does look like the way that you fold reeds to to make a Bridget's cross. And it might be in the same way then that sense of continuity that Bridget's Crosses have been made in Ireland for who knows how long. 
Um, and it's still something that gets done and you'll still find a Bridget's Cross in most people's houses, um, particularly in rural Ireland. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very, even though the Bridget's Cross is, is made with reeds and not with cereals, maybe because cereals aren't that widely grown in Ireland, but you can find yeah. reeds just about it everywhere. It's possible that they were made from barley at one point. Mm. I don't know, because in fact, the Bridget's Cross, which was, is really another topic, mm. is associated with February, mm. with, uh, with the seed time rather than the harvest. Yeah. Yeah. But here you've got the, this exact parallel with, say, the corn dolls yeah. that are found over England that have brought in the harvest sheaf and mm. that's brought in the corn corn doll that's associated with the with the harvest home, mm. certainly in England. Mm. But it, it it really does connect the story of Aravid and Miak and mm. Dian Kecht with the story that's so well known that's that the, the death resurrection the the agricultural cycle of the year yeah it's that important a story yeah and yet it's been overlooked for so long and i think the possibly the reason that it's been overlooked is because certainly for the last century we've been relying an awful lot on english translations of the irish stories and um unless you know the language the names just remain obscure. But as soon as you look to the actual meanings of the words of Aravid, of Mir, of Dienkecht, once you know that it's, if you like, a bushel, a wheat sheaf mm. and an eager plough, the story just opens right up for you. I know. This one surprised us, didn't yeah. it? We weren't, um, until we really got into looking, in fact, we hadn't actually realised quite... Mm how important these names were, yeah. even though knowing the story and thinking we knew its meaning. Yeah. So this one has been a revelation for us. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, we're looking forward to finding out more. It, it, it's at the end of the story that I read, I, 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 that I read at the beginning. Uh, the story, Dienkak says, Though Mirk is dead, Aravid will survive. It's and a- I think the story of Mirk and Aravid deserves to survive and be better known. Absolutely. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Ogilaf Nanagus, conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody. For more information or to subscribe, please visit www.storyarchaeology.com. You can get in touch via email on the story archaeologists at gmail.com.